revision.io. My name is Ela Kagel. I'm co-founder of Supermarkt. I don't know who knows the space. It's in Berlin, Kreuzberg. Supermarkt is a community space that uh, does research and events um, at the intersection of technology, society, money and culture. We've been around for eight years and um, this year I started a new endeavor, which mainly was Peter Harris's fault. <laughs> It's not my fault. Please don't blame me. <laughs> When um, when he when he introduced us at Supermarkt to um, a very interesting project that was launched in the United States, it's called Artchain. It's a um, it's a tech cooperative, and their idea was to um, expand to Europe. So um, we started to found the cooperative here in Europe, and there were many learnings tied to that. So currently I'm especially interested in the question of how to create good governance not only in cooperatives but also in the blockchain space. So just one question would be um, would be very difficult to answer but answering two of them is is especially challenging I think. And the other uh, question that currently keeps me very busy is the question how future organization need to be designed in order for us to collaborate transnational um, through different jurisdictions and networks and media. And I can't see right now uh, how this organization needs to be designed, but this is something that keeps me very busy. Yeah, and so the theme um, that seems to keep coming up in the context of uh, how to design a tech cooperative is uh, the relationship between the members and the structure of the organization and the tension between uh, the cooperative movement which tends to be much more consensus oriented and the startup culture which is tends to be much more hierarchical and uh, this is something that uh, I, I personally having started a, a platform co-op I, I don't think I've solved my it's uh, solved it yet myself um, one of the the challenges that we constantly faced was the attempt to try to be inclusive in decision making processes also with the tension between um, experience and longevity and the uh, uh, those that might have a, a fresh perspective but are not coming from uh, the, the same uh, do not have the same background uh, and, and scope of background and so this is something that we had to constantly kind of deal with on on our team in in, in trying to to work together and I think that uh, what it's very interesting and as an observation for those that know about the platform co-op movement I had a conversation with Nathan Schneider who is one of the kind of co-founders of this this term this movement um, and uh, he said something very interesting to me uh, a couple weeks ago which was Uh, that he advises platform co-ops to act like startups. And this was quite surprising because I expected quite the opposite. So startup culture, you tend to have very fast decision making and it tends to be driven by charismatic leader. Um, somebody that's got a vision, vision is trying to move in a very specific direction. And uh, co-ops uh, or, or collectives often have very distributed um, decision-making and very lateral decision-making and tend to move much slower. And in tech, you have to constantly be iterating, constantly changing and adapting. And so this is one of the, the uh, main issues that we faced. Um, and I think that uh, the example that Ella mentioned, our chain, it's a uh, scalable blockchain system uh, trying to go for the third generation uh, blockchain movement of uh, higher uh, transaction volumes. And um, they're set up as a cooperative, um, but also we're trying to, or effectively running as a, as a startup. And um, so I, I wonder if you could share some observations possibly about uh, your experience with them and some of these themes that I've mentioned, and then we'll have to start to open the conversation. Yeah, maybe um, just by sharing some of these observations, we can already frame the question or the invitation to take part in, in this dialogue. Because um, what I what I have experienced uh, while 
founding this cooperative here in Germany and uh, trying to reach out to a community here in Europe, I could clearly see that there seems to be a friction between the technological development and um, the community, the, the governance aspects, the question of how people can participate in the project, uh, the question of how to let go of hierarchies, how to really create something of collective ownership. And that was not entirely clear, but I've seen people working or entirely focused on the technology, but they sort of left out this this entire what I have here a friend sitting Stako and I think he will also talk later he says that's the cultural aspect so he always makes this differentiation between the structural and the cultural and I could clearly see that too and that is actually something that um, yeah that is that is actually my big question and I know that if I look around there are quite a number of people here that I know have a great experience in working with communities but at the same time trying to set up organizations. And I would be really curious to uh, hear from you and invite you all in this conversation of um, what kind of, of frictions and challenging challenges did you come across setting up a project or an organization while at the same time reaching out to a community and trying to get a community invested into it what did you experience? What are your questions? What is it that you would like to share? And I'm just very curious to see the direction in which this conversation will be going. Just a quick word about the rules. So this entire setting, uh, this fishbowl setting means we first of all will reach out to the people that are here in the inner circle so they can answer or they can give their statements. And whenever some of you feel like, oh, okay, now I want to be next. I have something to add. Then you just tap at the back of these people and just show that next one should be you. So there's a constant change of people coming in the circle and fresh statements and ideas. Okay, so I think uh, I, maybe I pass it on to uh, Felix and I uh, just want to hear from you. What is it that you would like to share? Um, yeah, just again. Felix is the founder of Ferramondo, oh, which Fairmondo. is a, an open marketplace uh, cooperative as well. Yeah, well, thanks for this introduction. I think it's a very important topic that is that is very hard to grasp, um, given that there are so many organizations out there. So we founded Fermondo six years ago now as a cooperative. And um, well, I, as the initiator, had, had a view not of creating a cooperative. I didn't even think about that model before. It was just on the way that we learned, okay, this might be a useful model for putting into practice what we wanted. And what we wanted was an organization, a business that is owned by its stakeholders, controlled by them, so it actually lives up to, to its promises, and um, at the same time distributes value evenly, and um, or almost evenly. And, and to many people. And um, for this, for me, is the cooperative model is very good. But if we look at how this cooperative model was designed, um, it was designed for small communities, small businesses, um, where people knew each other and so on. And um, now these online businesses, where you have, a, if you have a stakeholder membership, which is one of the crucial things you probably have to look about if it's a worker-owned cooperative with a small group of people of, of community or a stakeholder membership where we now have over 2,000 members who all have ideas and um, <clears throat> for our experience like my view was we will be a startup we will push forward very quickly there will be a membership but they will be rather consulting us helping us with their ideas and supporting us and um, and also controlling us and making sure that we live up to our promises of transparency and so on and uh, well, just one lecture that I really realized is if you spend too much time discussing with all these stakeholders, it can distract you so much from your business model that you that you fail in terms of making the business viable, and that that best frustrates everyone. Um, but if you have just this startup setup and ignore the whole issue of governance. Um, you might end up uh, at some point being a hierarchical corporation that just copies the past. Hi everyone, I'm Jim. I do some research and advisory around distributed governance. 
And uh, I can tell my experience uh, participating in a DAO, a bit uh, more off-chain than cooperatives, I would say, uh, a bit more on-chain than cooperatives. Um, I think essentially th this uh, distributed governance and uh, these type of collectives is uh, engaging in culture building. So. Uh, people forming their, uh, especially if the structure is not too rigid and it allows for human communication to take place, um, it creates unique uh, communication and uh, unique culture that uh, really didn't exist before that human interaction was uh, enabled. And what interests me here is that um, um, where do people, like the individual aspect of things, like where do people think uh, the agency lies in a kind of a collective decision-making mechanism. So like, uh, um, is it the structure, like as you were mentioning, uh, is it the structure that is that has the supremacy or the agent? And uh, so it, I think this question is a bit fuzzy for uh, the participants of usually, uh, and it could uh, take shape that um, the structure really dictates the the or kind of is a source of the agency for everybody participating. You can see this in kind of uh, populist movements that the people are like an extension of the state. Or uh, on the other hand, uh, you, you have this libertarianism where a, the agent is supreme and the individual rights and uh, there is nothing above that and so on. So like you have kind of an Ayn Rand approach. And uh, so I started thinking about this in the context of DAOs and I, I thought that it was very parallel to this uh, social ontology, search of social ontology as uh, wh what is the pr primary source of our agency. And I uh, stumbled upon this theory called uh, structuration uh, that talks about um, agency and structure being interacting elements and non none of them having kind of supremacy. And I think this, this is kind of a, a good place to build on, uh, a good ideological base to build on when thinking about uh, such cooperatives be it uh, uh, off-chain or DAOs uh, on-chain. So I think it's an uh, interesting point. And uh, th yeah, that, that's what I find very interesting. People search in uh, the source of agency. I think that's uh, a very interesting point. Okay, interesting. So uh, my name is Sven, Sven Leple. I'm <coughs> founder of uh, Astratum. It's a Berlin-based and Swiss-registered uh, blockchain company. And um, actually, I find a lot of um, topics you mentioned regarding governance and uh, and the uh, integration of uh, community and all stakeholders really uh, what is the magic of uh, of blockchain. You know, um, for people not so familiar with uh, blockchain, they consider this mainly as a technology, but actually these are social systems which are enabled by technology. And um, if we pick up that idea about having um, in some co-ops every stakeholder benefiting from uh, the overall value created by the uh, cooperative, then we have this um, happening with the uh, blockchain with the mechanism of the tokens, where you are free to buy some tokens, similar like you are, you are able to buy yourself into a cooperative, and you can buy as much as you want, but you can also earn them. And uh, they are also a bearer of um, the, um, transacting um, ser certain services. And um, so this is the, the practice and the theory. And in general, Peter, you were asking, so how about triggering basically and managing, integrating a community? So um, <clears throat> if you look at the um, successful blockchains, which are socio-economical systems, each one of them with a specific technological infrastructure, which is enabling it, then most of them have um, a blueprint. And uh, yes, we have, you have there as well some founders, one visionary or group of visionary guys, and uh, they set up the rules and launch it and first it's um, the launch happens uh, within a small group of people participating at it and but it's open by its uh, culture and nature and um, offers also new stakeholders an easy access to join the community and if we look at the um, legal part of it so um, one 
structure which has been uh, widely used in 2016 and 17 was the setup of a foundation where you have some of these um, visionary founders being in the foundation. That foundation raises money and the group of these founders are basically deciding, are governing, that's the, the governance structure, um, how the uh, communicate goals are basically uh, reached, what's the roadmap, um, and how the priorities are set, and which kind of companies are basically contracted to, um, to either develop the technology or to um, give a certain benefit for the um, overall uh, system. And um, that's something which we, for example, um, apply right now in a textile uh, project where you have a very diverse um, and global reaching uh, community and where we design based on the um, technology some possibilities, for example, for, for the stakeholders in the uh, countries where the textile uh, resources are coming from to earn some tokens and to, um, by, for example, participating at uh, social trainings and uh, then being able to put these tokens in so-called staking pools where they get some interest rates. And so, in order to basically make them benefiting from the overall uh, value created in that uh, blockchain. Okay. I'd like to tie a few different themes together that I've been hearing. And, you know, going back to Felix, you, you talked about um, when you widen the, the circle or you open up the conversation too much to a group of several thousand people by asking a general question of what do you want, um, you're going to open yourself up to having spending most of your time dealing with processing that information. And I think this might be, you know, a kind of a key to trying to strike a balance between um, if you're if you're generally aligned on a purpose of we're going to build this platform to do this thing and then creating a structure so that of where the democracy comes in when things go wrong of somebody discovering there's an exploit or somebody discovering that there's uh, some form of injustice that's taking place um, where you have the ability for any member as a co-owner of the system to to uh, to enact a process to to have that process reviewed is is maybe what's more important than you know asking people if they like orange or blue for the color of a, of a button in a ux process i mean that's a very trivial example but um because uh, i've seen the same the same tension too you know with times we've opened up to to too broad of a question or or or, or throughout throughout too broad of a question it just ends up you, you spend too much time kind of dealing with those those interactions so i, I wonder if the 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 process we're going to actually get to is is or the 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 new structure we might come to is a combination of the foundation and that structure the structure that you designed the cooperative where you've got collective ownership and the possibility for democratic participation and then as nathan had mentioned recently a trust is another form of organization so we we can try and strike balances between these right thanks peter so that's a good moment now for everyone who feels like they want to step in and uh, add to that discussion. So Peter has now proposed a number of possible uh, legal forms of organizational types that are either out there or currently emerging. I would be really interested in hearing from you. Um, what are you currently working on? What are your questions and challenges? What is it that you would like to bring to the table? So please just change the seats. Okay. Tap in, tap out. Cool. Thank you. Um, Thanks for those great provocations, and I think we should, I would love to get to some of those questions, but I just wanted to ask one question before we got to the next part, where I would love to hear about where Resonate is currently at, and how people who are members of the cooperative and how employees um, feed into decisions that were made for the company. Um, that could take probably another half an hour to an hour to, to, to really, uh, to, to go into. Um, there's uh, we, we've hit with, uh, been hit with a challenge recently with having um, the our main source of funding, which has been tied to Ether, crash because of the crash of the the Ethereum market, 
And so that, that led us to having to kind of put things on pause and say, okay, we need to kind of start over our plan that we enacted at the beginning of the year is no longer viable. We were building towards a token sale that's no longer viable in the, the current state of the market. And so this is a great example of how the structure that we have is supportive of uh, the, the community in the sense that it's now, you know, as the founder, I'm, I'm no longer, I, I, you know, at this, at this moment, I'm no longer in, in control of, uh, and we have a board that is going to decide the next stage of development. And so any employee within the, the, uh, the company is now able to propose a new direction to reconfigure where we're going. And that will then go to our board for, uh, for a vote. And I'm really excited about that um, in the sense that it's, uh, it is that part, sense of openness and participation that if we needed to go in a different direction, um, that it's not just up to, you know, a single person to, to decide. So that's currently where we're at. And I, this is kind of speaking to what I uh, talked about before in terms of like when things go wrong, you know, is, is, do you have a, a structure in which someone else, some, anyone can participate in that? And, and that's what the co-op brings. Mm-hmm. And I wonder a lot too, in terms of cooperative structures and just, the tension between kind of formal corporate governance and cooperative structures in terms of creating safety net for people who have decided to hedge their livelihood on those cooperatives or otherwise and figuring out whose responsibility it is to provide that livelihood in enough time for people to find new ones. That's something I wonder about a lot. I think the staking thing kind of uh, appeals to that idea of uh, kind of creating a revenue generating commons that kind of feed the contributors essentially or the people in need of this of a system so i think uh, staking is just one way of doing it in a kind of an interest generation on uh, crypto networks but i think there are, there will be in the coming future lots of uh, revenue generating commons that can actually feed it back to the uh, participants Yeah, I think what you what you just raised is it's a, an interesting point that makes me realize, like you know, we're all moving faster than we ever have moved before in terms of trying to create new forms of organizational structure. Um, and this blockchain has been a, a, an incredible provocation about the idea of uh, of new forms of ownership. And so many people have flooded into the space. I've, um, uh, around these ideologies, I heard someone, I think maybe it was Stocko, um, that, or, or someone else earlier today talked about the founders of, uh, Ethereum, you know, sort of starting from a thesis point that capitalism wasn't working and they wanted to build a, a toolkit that, uh, could challenge that. And, um, and yet what happened? Um, lots of capital ended up coming into the system and sort of diverting that process. And, uh, you know, with uh, the example that you gave, you know, we ran out of money very, very fast because the the, the conditions in which we were operating um, were changing incredibly fast. And um, th- this is the nature of the the tech space, and it's not it it uh, it's moving dramatically faster than the any you know other industries and, and that have been operating on the co-op model for for quite some time. You, yeah, just to add to that, I, I think it's also important to expand a little bit this notion of, of value and of livelihood. It's not only tied to revenues for the membership, but there's also more to it. So there's actually, um, for me, there's also the question of uh, what what's actually going on in the world around us. It's not just us as a member of any specific group, but it's also the question on What's going on in the environment? What's going on with those people that uh, do not necessarily have uh, a say or um, get visible within certain communities? And there are actually a lot. So if we talk about uh, economics today, then I, I don't think it's fair to only talk about revenue models, but we really have to take into account the state of our environment and the state of those people that are excluded from, let's say, traditional economic activities in which we probably are all part of. So I think that ex- that adds an extra portion of complexity to to that field, especially when it comes to, you know, what value or what what livelihood is it 
that we are actually talking about and how can we build any organization that can help ensuring that in a in a broader sense than just what we get into our pockets as community members or employees of a, of a corp or any other organization. So I'm wondering if there's anyone who feels like answering to that or adding to that. I'm Stacko from P2P Foundation and Guerrilla Translation. One of the things that I've noticed in the, um, in the tokenized or blockchain space um, is, of course, this obsession with, obviously, metrics, but also with just productive work, and there's nothing talked about reproductive work. Yet many of these projects um, come under a liberal paradigm that does speak to, you know, um, gender equality and being environmentally friendly. But I find it suspect because none of these projects actually reflect either feminist economics or environmental economics. And there are economic traditions which you're kind of like reflecting in the language but not so much in the not so much in the architecture and i find this troubling there's a saying from south africa disability activists in the early 90s which is nothing about us without us and if these people are not being present at the design stage you know that technology like it's been said before is not only not neutral but it will increase the capacities and the affordances of certain people that may benefit from its inherent design characteristics um, another thing that I think that Peter has mentioned that the, the volatility of the that's inherent to the blockchain space, and of course, if we're talking about co-ops, traditionally co-ops um, are much more resilient to the recurring crises of capitalism. So, you know, after the crash of 2008, famously co-ops didn't lay off as many people, etc. So, then there's also like this caricature, even though we've all been there, about the sluggishness and the slowness of co-ops versus the startup models. But, I mean, you know, there's model like in Spiral and what we're doing in the real translation. Yeah, you can have Scrum, you can have your sprint, but your sprint is not only about the productive work, but your well-being. Are you going to externalize your well-being to the Googleplex because you have a nursery and a cafeteria so you can work 12 hours a day? Or is that part of that well-being you're actually going to find it in the place or in the digital spaces that you work? And part of what we're working on in Guerrilla Translation is that some of the metrics actually have to do with just reproductive work. And reproductive work is care work, is taking care of each other, but also taking care of the ideals of the collective. So what I find interesting about distributed ledger technology is to use it as a trust. So if you have a community land trust, we have this set of laws that says that we have to use this land for social purposes. I want to see the same thing in the distributed ledger space. Instead of being like basically what it's been, I mean, in my observation, which is an investment vehicle for speculation, and then, you know, we'll give you some of what's left over, but that's also subject to the volatility of the space. Um, to me, that's not, that's not sustainable in any sense of the word. Um, before we completely go into the more economical dynamics, which I kind of think is where you're probably going to go, um, I want to touch on the, uh, the fact that cooperatives offer sort of a other senses of value, like belonging and community and things like this, that are not very attractive to most initiatives that are very excited about the metrification, the metrics possibilities, but at the same time, it's what allows for resilience in times of scarcity. I think blockchain space learned a lot about the, the lessons of abundance over the last few years, and there might be the start of a time where we're going to face the lessons of scarcity. And I am a social activist and community builder from Brazil, working in a very scarce situation that moved to Germany and I was very surprised to see sort of in terms of collaboration and sort of fractal cooperation without a center this feels behind to me from where I was and I think it's because of the lessons of scarcity and finding a more sophisticated perception of value and value exchanges to create actually the sensation of profit that it's not always happening within a exchange of capital exchange of a token exchange of a financial good and this is also a challenge for us and especially so I also collaborate in the DAO stack uh, Genesis Alpha like Jim and one of our our super interesting challenges is how to find the layers of soft governance and soft belonging and soft co-understanding including the, the the process of goal setting which is very fuzzy in in such an environment uh, so I just wanted to raise this, that it might be the time for us to start facing the lessons of scarcity and maybe look at this with a certain amount of excitement and soulful joy. Um, yeah, okay. 
thing. Sorry. Um, quick point. Yeah, I agree. And I enjoy that cooperatives offer a livelihood beyond direct kind of return on investment or profit value. I do sometimes worry as someone who's worked with small cooperatives as well as startups and larger corporations. Um, so having seen different types of governance and starting my own governance initiatives, sometimes I worry in the cooperative space that um, wanting to create more value rather than profit value often leads to a lack of clarity um, around kind of explicit livelihood. And it almost uses an excuse not to provide um, responsibility for supporting others' livelihood because you can say it's supported by the culture or it's resilient because it's a cooperative and refusing to kind of um, provide notice. So uh, I appreciate that we're speaking abstractly and we definitely want to move towards more than profit models. I think there is some sort of responsibility in cooperatives that when you take on employees or cooperative members or other things and you are responsible for that, you are responsible for their livelihood very directly. Um, and I don't want to use kind of values to obscure that fact. And I really worry in the cooperative space, often what I've seen from the results of certain cooperative experiments is that it's actually, um, you know, everyone goes off to work in co corporate governance scenarios because of the ways that the fuzziness or the implicitness of horizontal flat governance until a crisis hits um, kind of goes wrong. Hi everybody, I'm Max from Distributed Governance Foundation. So from uh, your question, I kind of felt that, like, let me know if I understood correctly. You say that we need somebody to be responsible for the people in the cooperatives, so for their li likelihood. Sorry, uh, maybe just to quickly respond. I think that there still needs to be an explicitness about responsibility. It doesn't necessarily have to be one figurehead or one person, but there needs to be very real responsibility outlines for providing that livelihood. Ideally, it would be all of the members, but most of the cases it's not. And the fact that it's not explicit is the problem. So I want to share some of my experience from the like uh, holacracy practice. So I do it in like a couple of organizations. and. Uh, well, what I feel uh, about that exp experience is that every person that collaborates in the organization should be totally responsible for his own li like likelihood, and he can uh, he can influence on that, uh, participating in the governance, understanding the governance, and also managing the risks. So I think that ideally you want to be part of several organizations, and uh, like in this uh, changing world. You know, you, you kind of want to have several options and uh, see the like wider landscape of, of, of the workaround. And uh, this will basically help you to survive if there will be some crisis. So uh, I think like two, two points, uh, participate and, and understand uh, the governance and not uh, shift. Like you can create roles, you can like affect some policies. But uh, I think... Uh, there would be never a position where you can totally move your responsibility to somebody else and not to uh, check reports and understand what's happening. And second, like uh, managing risks can be achieved by participating in more than one cooperative, for example. Felix, um, you just want to come back to the, maybe I can offer you my seat or yeah. I offer you my seat. Okay, I hope you find another seat then. <clears throat> okay, yeah, I think this is a very strong point, um, and I think it's it's also connected to economic success of a cooperative or whatever organization is there. You need to have resources if you want to take care of your employees and members and everyone who's maybe depending on your organization. Um, if your organization fails to sustain itself. Um, you just don't have the resources to actually do that. And this is for, for our, in our case, we went through multiple financial crises and um, had a lot of challenges of how do we continue with our team. And um, we had to reduce our team from 25 to seven. And this was for me actually one of the eye-opening processes uh, where I realized, okay, it was the most democratic process that we had, the, the, the ones that actually felt the most cooperative 
because we decided on the new budget altogether and this new budget only envisioned seven positions and we decided which type of positions these would be and um, everyone else was consenting to this and we were also taking care in the process that everyone had their their needs covered in particular found new new employment basically <laughs> um, those people who couldn't be employed anymore um, so this was a very difficult process also from a management point of view and, and most of all it was a very managed process it was um, we had a three-person managing board and we were really we were talking individual with every member of the team we were then facilitating group discussions and we took a lot of lead in this and uh, that's my personal feeling that people management like people managing teams it's a crucial thing. You can't replace this by models or, or algorithms or any type of technology. Um, this is where we we need people talking to each other and and and, and relating to each other. And um, so I think the structure needs to protect the managers from becoming just people who count uh, key performance indicators and pressure their teams on maximizing whatever aims they they got set from someone. Um, so, and I think actually these kind of electronic tools, blockchain and others are very good at, at kind of simulating these kind of pressures and, and optimizing some kind of um, processes, but maybe less good in terms of managing human relationships. Thanks, Felix. <coughs> maybe, maybe just, um, and if there's anyone who feels like coming in and sharing their story, please join us here. Um, yeah, I just, I also would like to come back to what you said that it's basically upon the responsibility of each member to take care of their own livelihood. I think in the end, it's a question of whether, you know, there are, there are structures to uh, ensure that within a co-op or any other organization. Because I just want to give an example of our sister co-op uh, in the U.S., Archain uh, Cooperative, based in Seattle in the U.S. So what became very clear there, they have established like routines of what they called radical transparency. So there's this habit of, you know, uh, taping every um, member call, every community call, sharing it on YouTube, on GitHub. Um, but no one has ever really cared for sharing the financial reports, especially in a time when the token went up like crazy and people really profited from it. But then when it went down, of course, everyone was yearning for that kind of control. And then all of a sudden there was a huge need for that. So, uh, you know, I, I think that probably over the past couple of years, the majority of organizations haven't really thought for that moment of crisis and what it actually would entail for informing people about what's going on and taking the decision to what extent you need to share financial reports, you need to share whatever is going on behind the scenes in order to to really uh, allow people to take care for their own livelihood because you can only do that if you have governance principles in place that are able to inform people in a proper way. And this is something I you know, for me, I, I have the feeling that is now, maybe now is under development, but I, I do not know many <laughs> co-ops or organizations that are already, that already have these principles in place. So that would be my question maybe also. Is there a story of an organization, of a model that any of you feels like sharing? I'm really glad you talked about it because I'm currently doing like small research on that and on the transparency especially of the blockchain organizations and uh, there are a couple of examples most of them I kind of when they try to build a community and say they are community driven they try to share this information mostly on the product development or something but some of them also share their financial reports and one of the best examples I've seen so far is the Aragon so they have a transparent uh, like uh, multi-sig wallet where they collected the funds from their ICO and uh, basically they open up the reporting by each transaction made out of this wallet you know which directly it went to right and there was like one example when it was really uh, supportive for the community is that like when the price dropped like I don't know like in the spring this year one of the first drops of Ethereum many people told that 
the ICOs uh, that collected funds are like uh, given away Ethereum and uh, like also mentioned Aragon is doing so and they pointed out to the multisecond set now like see we're transparent we're holding that's how we use it there's still like funds and so on and you basically can check all the transactions and I can I think that this model can be adopted by many other organizations there that are kind of community driven. I think that even though transparency is a must, it's not enough. And you also have to think about legibility because I can open source of my financial flows or my data, but if that's not legible, first of all, for the people within the co-op and the people that we want to collaborate with, that's not very useful. And over here, I will go into like UX and like interfaces on the front end that actually allows you to shape that and to, to be able to use this information for, for mutual coordination. On some of the stuff that was touched on before about them, um, co-ops, etc., I want to, first of all, defend the co-op form and then to mercilessly criticize it. Um, the thing about co-ops, I mean, there's some misunderstanding when people say that co-ops are not for profit. I think we have to say that they're not for absentee shareholder profit, but they're actually for the profit of the cooperative structure. Now, that's also not good enough. Maybe you also want to have a co-op where you're not just reinvesting in the co-op to make it grow substantially without actually any purpose. You know, you want to like grow to an optimal scale that it can do its job properly. And beyond that, maybe you let it compost, you let it fail. It will, it will come up in, in new places. Just want to say, I don't know if it's been mentioned, my headphones have been coming in and out, so forgive me if I'm being redundant. Um, being a co-op guarantees certain things, guaranteed by a state that, you know, will stimulate certain behaviors, but again, that is structural. It's not so much, it's not so much cultural. And some of the things that you find with, with, with co-ops nowadays is, yeah, you may have democratized ownership and decision making, but you're still not talking about what you're producing. So, for example, there's a, there's a co-op in Scotland that's developing missile guidance systems. So, you know, it's a co-op, yay. But, you know, like, what is the purpose of your co-op? What, what are you doing with it? And, of course, co-ops, um, they have the problem that usually larger co-ops like Mondragon, etc., which is like the poster child of cooperativism, brings in managers from capitalism and with capitalist values and structures. So then you have, like, abnormal situations, like the, the Polish workers in Mondragon who are not worker owners, they go on strike. So they're going on strike against the co-op. So a lot of the work that we've done in P2P Foundation and now Guerrilla Translation is around the notion of offering open cooperativism, which has a lot to do with platform co-ops. I'm not going to go into it now. But um, how do you encode that? How do you encode that into distributed ledgers for actually something that can create decent economies? Um, another thing that we're working on, and I'm not going to go into it, is a friendly critique of the DAO and it's called DISCO, which is Distributed Cooperative Organization. So you take away, I think the autonomous, I mean, first of all, there's the, the difference between decentralized and distributed, something worth mentioning, not always, but also putting the cooperative over there. Let's have cooperative organizations because I may be a coder with certain values and it's usually men and the values as we've seen are for extraction of profit. And I let this machine that cannot be taken down easily just program itself according to these precepts. Let's have human interaction at each stage. Let's check in before these this programs that we're building get out of hand. Um, this is what we're interested in. And how do you put co-ops? Again, in a way that you can mutualize value transnationally, which is like the big problem with co-ops. It's like largest organization in the world, the cooperative movement, more employees than anyone else, huge market cap, but totally disaggregated. That six cooperative principle of cooperation amongst cooperatives not working. What can we learn from the blockchain space? What can we learn from peer-to-peer -peer practices and common-space peer productions? So co-ops do form an economic counterpower in this economy. Uh, yeah, so my name is Gleb. I work for Stratum together with Sven right there. So uh, for me, when we're discussing governance and blockchains, I think important to distinguish is between on-chain and off-chain governance. So th while there are many companies and many ventures, like uh, you were mentioned, Aragon as well, uh, trying to fix basically on-chain governance, there's still like a large gaps, I would say, in the off-chain governance. And this is the problem we are facing, for example, with our venture with the Tracy, which is uh, around supply chain and we want to generate transparency for the fashion supply chain. Uh, in any supply chain plus blockchain venture, I would say there's a common problem of uh, basically garbage in, garbage out problem. So whenever you write something on a blockchain, it's immutable, but you want to first make sure that the data written on the blockchain actually is correct as well. Is um, and 
I mean, is according to the standards and the quality you you set up. So this is a thus it generates a big challenge to basically set up off-chain governance. How is the data recorded? How do you structure the whole process? And um, basically to ensure that uh, provenance and transparency. So I just wanted to address this as a kind of issue we in the blockchain space might sometimes overlook as we are thinking, okay, blockchain is kind of solving the issues, but we are not, sometimes we can leave behind, leave out sort of looking at the existing processes and how do we govern the stuff off chain. Yeah, yeah agreed. Thanks for that lab. And actually, since you're talking about supply chain management in the space of uh, textile production, uh, we do have someone here in this group. It's Anton from uh, DNA Merch. And Anton is actually working very much off-chain on uh, creating a fairer um, supply chain for the textile industry. And I know, Anton, that you are currently on the verge of thinking what, what is the best organizational model for DNA merge? Is it a platform co-op or what the hell could it be? And maybe you just want to respond a little bit to what Gleb was saying or what we discussed before. Yeah, uh, thanks for introducing me, Ela. Um, I think, so maybe just briefly to what we are doing or what our current setup is. We we're actually two people in Berlin that work uh, as a prolonged uh, sales arm of a cooperative in Croatia that uh, produces garments. And uh, then obviously further down you have the fabric production in India. And um, the biggest question that we are having is like, how do we get to real collective ownership within this structure? So, <coughs> And uh, then the cooperative principles come into play and we are thinking about how to form a global uh, uh, a global cooperative but that sounds so uh, um, yeah um, too big sometimes so how do we get from where we are now to this collective kind of ownership and the idea is to um, maybe start with creating one organization where the workers in Croatia that are already organized as a cooperative we are lining with them up in one organization, then step by step um, expanding it down the supply chain. And uh, the reason why we are here at this uh, summit is also to understand better how technology like blockchain can be of help in this process. And I'm yeah, quite at an early stage to understand how blockchain can really be of help in this process. Yeah. So, if anybody has a great, quick idea for this, shoot. And I would like to talk with you afterwards, because you are working with us. Yeah, I just want to uh, let everyone know, An Anton is at a very critical stage with his project. It's super interesting what he's doing. So, please just make sure to reach out to him and exchange addresses and ideas. I mean, we've been in, in touch already and we should get again um, on this organization and model question because I think it's very crucial in particular in an early stage, I think it's different than to a later stage. And that's one of the key problems right now that um, we have this startup situation and with Vermont we try to create the big model that makes everything like transparency and accountability and so on that incorporates it all. It, does, it, didn't, it, it made it very difficult for us to get started. And I see in the, t in the, in particular in the blockchain sphere, um, there are a lot of startups that are well financed, um, doing successful ICOs or having, having VCs bringing substantial numbers of money, which then helps them to push on and maybe not think so much about scarcity, which was mentioned and how to really organize yourself. Um, and then they maybe at some point reach a point where they will reach a roof or where they're not viable enough to keep going what they have created. And um, so for me, there should be a two-step approach where you really consider a model that is designed for your startup level, for you and, and manageable for the people that you are and the resources you have, and define already in, in the DNA of your organization and in the contracts that you maybe make with stakeholders or investors or whoever you have, um, that if you reach a certain level, you will transform 
your organization and I would say into a specific cooperation cooperative that um, yeah that fulfills certain standards that you want to achieve this is like a sophistication of the idea but yeah and I just wanted to make this push that I don't want to say that it's not valuable to look for models and best practices and re replicable ideas but we need this person, this creature, which is a contextual navigator of the emergent constellation of human relationships in the organization and creating sense-making and creating a mechanism for sensing and adjusting and perceiving and risking and, and prototyping around this. And it's contextual, like you can't really <coughs> get a culture model or governance model or anything like this because governance and culture sort of are a liquid and a dry word for sort of the same thing or not the same thing but they have two touch points I guess and this contextual navigation I think that there's a, a sort of a, a desire uh, a technocrat desire to not have to do it and I don't see a way out of doing it and it's not a glamorous job because you're not gonna find the killer app of, of culture I don't, I don't think it's necessarily sitting anywhere um, and then that leads me to suggest the creation of prototyping spaces within the organization so having people working in parallel solutions to the same problem in the case of something happening that completely shifts the the landscape you're at least creating knowledge and sense making around different ways of tackling the same problem which are not directly useful and they're not being like you know but you're actually seeding um, innovation or inno I, it's a shitty word but um, you're sitting, you're seeding a fractal perception that doesn't have to be in consensus at all points in time. Let people explore different ideas in protected spaces. I think that's where I've seen organizations failing a lot. And if you have a cooperative model which has an abundance of human capital, um, try to let them work from their place of excitement without, with very little oversight and in a holacrotic model like Max were talking about, just define the output, define like, okay, you need to communicate with the collective in a way that we can understand. But other than that, your working process is yours and please deliver X. Anton, maybe to wrap it up. Yeah, no, I, I like it that uh, contribution you just made. Like, I think what I was thinking about is like a kind of focus groups with different partners along the supply chain. So, the easiest thing for us is to go to Croatia, come up with the idea and say, okay, let's explore this idea together. I could do the same flight to India, not so often as well as I would, but this could be a way to you know, narrow it down and to get also the cultural aspect that uh, Stacco mentioned is important to, to keep in mind that uh, the thing will grow with uh, the more people you will involve from different cultural contexts. Thanks. So uh, I think we have almost used up our time, so I get a sign here that we need to stop. But uh, I guess some of us will stick around and there's still uh, enough opportunities to talk. Thanks so much. And yeah, thank you. Thank you.